0: ECO Report is a weekly public affairs program
1: providing independent media coverage
0: of environmental and ecological studies
2: with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events
0: in order to foster open discussion
2: of human
1: relationships with nature and the earth
0: and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world.
1: Eco Report is produced by
3: an independent team of volunteers,
0: working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana,
1: and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello, and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm Todd Wicks.
4: And I'm Juliana Daly. The City of Bloomington Utilities is implementing a new stormwater grant program. Utilities Director Vic Kelson says the program will award small grants to support green stormwater infrastructure projects on private property. He spoke at an information session at the Utilities Service Center on Monday.
5: Our lawyer is fond of saying that uh, stormwater is a common enemy that we all face, and it definitely is a problem that uh, everybody has uh, some issues with. So uh, we've established this program this year to help uh, help members of the community uh, do projects that can help them help them with their own yards, uh, and also help their neighborhoods.
4: CBU has allotted $35,000 for this first year of the program, which is being described as a cost-share program. According to grant materials, applicants will be responsible for project costs not covered by a CBU storm water grant. During the information session, coordinator Kelsey Fatonia explained the application process.
6: This year we're limiting it to single-family residential homes, and an individual can apply. If your project only impacts your property, then you can apply as an individual. If you have a project that impacts multiple homeowners across adjacent properties, then we're asking for you to apply as a group. So get your neighbor's support and you can apply together. Um, or you can also go through your neighborhood association or homeowner association.
4: Fatonia gave examples of green stormwater projects edible for the grants, including creating rain gardens and bioswales.
6: If you have any ditches that are privately owned as well, um, detention pond maintenance, Any driveway culvert replacements, so a lot of the driveway culverts that you see on the roads um, are the responsibility of the homeowners, even if it's adjacent to a um, publicly managed ditch. Downspout disconnection, so maybe you have a feeling your downspouts are connected to our, our sanitary sewer, which they're not supposed to be, so if you want to disconnect that, get all the rainwater from your gutters going into a bioswale or something, that would be an awesome project.
4: Fatonia said these projects will not entirely fix neighborhood drainage problems, but she said addressing runoff issues on private property contributes to CBU's ability to manage stormwater issues associated with large rain events. She also emphasized the importance of controlling contaminants in stormwater runoff.
6: The storm sewer infrastructure does not go to a treatment plant. So anything that goes into your storm drains goes directly to our local creeks.
4: CBU is moving quickly with the program and is asking applicants to submit a letter of intent by April 1st. Fatonia said she will work with residents on their applications, which are due by May 1st. The application must include a detailed sketch of the proposed project, a cost estimate, and a five-year maintenance plan.
6: So I recommend contacting a local contractor, um, landscape company, someone who you'd like to work with on this project to hire out, and get just a general cost estimate. Some companies will do that for free.
4: Fretonia said projects will be selected and the grants awarded sometime this summer. The CBU Stormwater Grant Program is only available to residents of the City of Bloomington. Applications can be found at bloomington.in.gov slash utilities. In
1: other utilities news, the City of Bloomington Utilities Department is battling disinfection project byproducts earlier in the year than usual. DBPs are typically a warm weather concern, but Utilities Director Vic Kelson says a wet winter has contributed to the formation of precursors to haloacetic acids in Bloomington's water source, Lake Monroe. Kelson explained the situation to the Utilities Service Board on Monday, noting the difficulty of this year's winter.
5: Highly intense rains there have been a lot of erosion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also, there have also been a lot of major wind events Mm -hmm. And and the lake has been generally warmer through the winter than it normally is. So uh, the lake has been probably mixing frequently, Mm -hmm. uh, which normally doesn't happen that much at this time of year. And, uh, you know, the lake is, we all know it's really high, but it's also uh, uh, chemically uh, challenging because rainwater doesn't have very much alkalinity uh, or any calcium at all. So we don't have uh, as much buffering capacity as we normally have for pH. So...
1: Kelson said the, pre- the conditions at Lake Monroe have led to high levels of the precursors, more than five times higher than normal.
5: There's a measure of the humic acids that, uh, that lead to the formation of the haloacetic acids have been uh, higher than we've ever seen for months at a time now. Normally, the reading for this is uh, it's a attenuation of UV. UV ultraviolet radiation at a particular wavelength is the measurement. Normally that runs about 0.07. Lately it's been in excess of 0.3 or almost up to 0.5. It's been very high. What that means is that there's a lot more of the precursors for making those haloacetic acids which are the disinfection byproduct that we've had the most trouble with.
1: The haloacetic acids Kelson referred to produce disinfectant byproducts in two ways. First, by reacting with organic matter in the source water, and second, they react with the chlorine used to treat water to make it safe to drink. Soil and rock filter haloacetic acids from water naturally, but that filtering process doesn't occur with the surface water sources like lakes and reservoirs. Kelson told the board Monroe treatment plant staff have been vigilant about removing unwanted organic constituents, and their work has paid off. Kelson said recent water tests indicate DBP levels well below EPA limits.
4: Two new studies have taken a close look at different aspects of the dangers of air pollution. One of the studies, published in the journal Cardiovascular Toxicology, found that early in the first trimester of pregnancy and late in the third trimester were critical times when pollutants most affect the mother's and fetuses' cardiovascular systems. The culprits are microscopic particles inhaled by the women. The findings suggest that pregnant women, those of childbearing age, and those undergoing fertility treatments should avoid areas known for high air pollution or remain indoors on high smog days to reduce their exposure.
1: Polar bears have become the poster children of global warming. The bears spend most or all of the year living and hunting on sea ice, and the shrinking of this ice appears to pose a serious threat. There are now claims that the population of polar bears is actually increasing. So what's going on? Reports of increasing populations are limited in number and generally found in minor sources. This report summarizes the issue as presented by the UK publication New Scientist. There are thought to be between 20 and 25,000 polar bears in 19 population groups around the Arctic. While polar bear numbers are increasing in two of these populations, Two others are definitely in decline. It is not known how the rest of the populations are doing, so the truth is that no one can say for sure how overall numbers are changing. The two populations that are increasing, both in northeastern Canada, were severely reduced by hunting in the past and are recovering thanks to the protection that they and their prey now enjoy. The best-studied population in Canada's western Hudson Bay Fell by 22% from 1987 to 2004, according to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. A second group in the Beaufort Sea off uh, Alaska's north coast is now experiencing the same pattern of reduced adult weights and cub survival as the Hudson Bay group. The World Conservation Union projects the bears' numbers will drop by 30% due to continued loss of Arctic sea ice.
4: Trans Canada The Canadian corporation that's trying to build the Keystone XL pipeline lost its latest attempt to begin pipeline construction. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit has denied yet another attempt by TransCanada to begin construction of its controversial tar sands pipeline in the midst of ongoing legal challenges. Last year, a district Court ruled that the Trump administration violated basic environmental laws when it approved a federal permit for the pipeline. The ruling blocked any construction while the government revises its environmental review. TransCanada and the Trump administration appealed that decision in the Ninth Circuit. The new Ninth Circuit orders The new Ninth Circuit order leaves the injunction on construction in place while the court decides on the merits of the case. TransCanada had argued that if the company couldn't begin construction by March 15th, it would miss the 2019 construction season altogether. The new order means the earliest it could start construction is 2020, if at all. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly.
1: And I'm Todd Wicks. Support for EcoReport comes from Blooming Foods Market in Delhi, Bloomington's locally grown co-op grocery since 1976, offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, natural, and organic, with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market and Delhi on East 3rd near College Mall, West 6th near the Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. And now it's time for Get Out and Hike.
7: This is Get Out and Hike, and I'm Jan Walker.
1: My name is
3: Curtis Smith. I'm a a resident here in Bloomington. My wife and I have lived here for five years. The Karst Farm Trail, it runs right by our house. We live around Westside Bloomington, and so we like to just jump on that. It's a really nice flat trail. It's paved all the way. It's great for walking, biking. It's really open. The open fields on either side. Part of it, you're going by houses. You do get out into a rural area, like as you go between kind of the edge of Bloomington and out towards the uh, Karst Farm. It's really well maintained. If you go out all the way to Karst Farm, there's parking there, and then you could walk back on the trail. You could take the trail back toward Bloomington then back to your car. There's also parking at the Ivy Tech parking lot, and you could walk half a block or a block to it. You can take it from where it intersects with 3rd. It's like profile parkway kind of in 3rd or Whitehall. From right around there, you can go down a block and then you can jump on the on the trail just right there on the on the south side of 3rd. You could head out towards towards Car's Farm and you can take it all the way to the splash pad and you can go the other direction on it. You can go north and you can go all the way up by the Y. So it's just a great easy walk. There are some little hills here and there but it's pretty tame.
4: For this week's feature, Eco reports. Jan Walker interviews David Lasertmer and David Weinberg from the Neighborhood Planting Project.
7: My name is Jan Walker. I am interviewing David and Kevin from the Neighborhood Planting Project.
2: Thanks yeah, for having us. Yeah, thank you so much.
7: Tell us about the Neighborhood Planting Project and a lot of big events coming up.
2: It started in the fall of 2017. Uh, Mostly just because we realized that we could buy trees in bulk from the state nursery for very cheap, and we bought 700 trees for what felt like very little money. Just pooling it together, just a few, just a few friends, and it's expanded since then. Um, and now we're we can talk about it later, but we're you know we're expanding to other cities and we're able to make big purchases and buy nicer trees, and we're providing all sorts of other plants too, and it's it's grown a lot, but yeah, it just started when we just wanted to buy a lot of trees. <laughs> um, give them away for free, plant them. Plant them in collective spaces like co-ops and uh, the Overlook Community Center. Plant them in shared places and neighborhoods like we planted a big hazelnut hedge in the Trailview neighborhood, the new Habitat neighborhood off the Bee Line. Um, yeah, and also just in people's yards and give away to local farmers, all sorts of things.
8: Another big component of the project is building neighborhood
9: connections.
8: In giving away these trees, we've gone door to door. And last year, I went to about 100 houses asking folks if they'd like free trees, which is part of it is getting to know our neighbors better, building community resilience. Also, eventually, hopefully having a lot of fruit to share that we could, you know, make um, ciders and jams and all sorts of things with.
7: And last year, you gave away 1,200 trees.
2: Yeah, it was amazing. People were really excited about it. Um, The Bloomington Permaculture Guild was a big group that we plugged in, um, a lot of farmers in the area. But also, yeah, as David said, we just went door-to-door in our neighborhoods, in these four neighborhoods that we lived in, and just asked people if they wanted trees and if they wanted help planting them, and a lot of people did.
7: And you have two new neighborhoods this year that you're going to be planting in?
2: That's right, the Switchyard Neighborhood and the Green Acres Neighborhood.
7: You have some events coming up.
2: Yeah,
8: we have... Our first giveaway planting weekends are this weekend coming up, the 23rd and the 24th, and the following weekend as well. We'll be based in four different neighborhoods, mostly on the near west side, and be there with a bunch of trees, a bunch of friends ready to help dig and, and plant these trees. And we'll be uh, having some planning demos in case people would like to learn more about how to successfully plant trees. There are morning times and afternoon times, and I would encourage people to go check out the website for uh, more detailed information about those planting days, which is www.neighborhoodplantingproject.org.
7: What do you tell the public and the landowners about invasive species?
2: We did a lot of work with invasives last year. We had got a grant through the local um, soil and water conservation district. That was specifically about removing invasive plants and replacing them with native species. So we pulled out a lot of bush honeysuckle and euonymus, and we led some workshops just uh, showing people how to kill these things and replace them with beautiful fruit-bearing natives. Yeah.
7: So you're also planting orchards and giving away nut trees and fruit trees. Is that?
8: We try to find space that we can plant a whole number of trees and have them you know, be located in a place that's easy to to care for and maintain with mulching and any sort of watering that may be necessary within the first year. What
7: do you give to people along with the trees?
8: People come to pick up their plants. We give them a bag that has some amendments in it that helps with initial growing season, um, that time when the trees need a little assistance. Um, And we also give them a fact sheet about um, all the different plants and what kind of watering needs they have and um, anything else folks would need to know to help the planting uh, in the early growth grow better.
2: One great thing about the plants that we're giving out is a lot of them are wild, native. They're wild varieties of native species. And so they actually don't need a lot of care because they're plants that naturally grow here. So these aren't apples, you know, these aren't cultivated apples or peaches Mm -hmm. or pears that are going to need a lot of care. careful tending and are gonna need insecticides and whatever else to keep them alive. These are plants that really don't need a lot, maybe a little water when it's a drought. The Neighborhood Planting Project is under the umbrella of the Center for Sustainable Living. So it's a program of the Overlook Community Center, which is a project of the CSL. Um, The Overlook is a effort to renovate this old cabinet shop in the Maple Heights neighborhood and make it into this community center, shared woodworking tool share place place for people to come together and make things and learn together. That's ongoing, the project to renovate this building, but we're also operating the planting project out of that as well.
7: You are expanding to other cities as well, and you are helping other cities, teaching them to start up projects similar to this one?
8: That's one of the things I'm most excited about with this project is that we have friends who are eager to do projects Uh, very similar to this in their communities so we're saving all of the forms that we make um, and we're going to pass those on to these folks so that it makes it easier for them to organize and to get the word out and start purchasing trees from the locations that are close to them so those trees are well suited for their environments and they can go ahead and start these projects in their own communities.
7: That's the Neighborhood Planting Project. Uh, I'm here with David and Kevin. Thanks for being here, guys.
8: Yeah, thank you. We are the the Neighborhood neighborhood
7: Planting planting project. Project.
1: Are you looking for a way to take action on environmental issues? EcoReport is seeking volunteer reporters to contribute short headline news stories as well as feature interviews. We provide all the technical training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. So please give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And up next, EcoReport's Kaylin Huffman Brower's Secret Life of Fungi.
9: The former Russian space station Mir reportedly smelled like rotten apples, and globs of mold floated in the electrical panels. For over a decade before the station was decommissioned, fungi flourished on the Mir, demonstrating its resilience in space. In fact, the fungi kingdom has been in space since the beginning. I'm Kaelin Huffman Brower, and I'll explore the past, present, and future of mushrooms in space in this segment of The Secret Life of Fungi. Cosmonauts and their international colleagues using the low-orbit research lab were plagued with fungi that came into the Mir space station naturally on the space explorer's skin, the fungi had no hostile intent. It was simply doing its organic recycler job, eating dead skin as the cosmonauts naturally shed it. On Earth, with gravity's slowing spore distribution, this is the kind of tiny microbe that human hosts would never notice. But over time, in the confines of the space station, a whole variety of dead skin decomposers started to etch into unlikely surfaces all over the mirror even on the quartz glass of fairy viewports. The fungi spread out, networking with its mycelium, naturally seeking connection. In many ways, fungi are particularly resilient space travelers, even outside human transport. Spores can withstand harsh conditions like outer space, remaining dormant for extremely long periods of time. Extreme cold? No problem. Cosmic radiation? Fungi can handle it. Astrobiologists have long theorized about the nature of life throughout our galaxy speculating that pre-nucleic acids, in other words the building blocks of life, spring naturally from the cosmos as matter organizes. These building blocks, and even fully formed spore, travel on comets or on interstellar plasmic winds. This interstellar migration, known as panspermia, isn't just the stuff of science fiction life, especially dormant microbial life, could have been introduced to Earth by traveling from distant planets. Today, astrobiologists are actively involved in applied research, currently testing how humans can establish future colonies on other planetary bodies. On the far side of the Moon, a Chinese lab is germinating seeds and growing plants. And as of January 15, 2019, Cotton seed has sprouted. The unmanned lab also holds fly eggs and yeast, a type of fungi, both of which will need oxygen to survive. The Chinese are testing the photosynthesis and oxygen-generating capabilities of the plants germinated on the moon. At the same time, NASA has a rover on Mars and plans a human outpost on the Red Planet by the 2030s. NASA scientists are also evaluating the role of the fungi kingdom in space exploration. No doubt there will be room for mushrooms in space. Space travelers can grow mushrooms for nutrient-rich food. For long-term colonies, fungi will serve as essential soil builders for other food crops. Also, as cosmonauts learned on the space station Mir, fungi will travel with the colonists' microbiomes – on their skin and in their guts. The fungi kingdom is an inextricable part of human ecosystems. I'm Kalen Huffman Brower with The Secret Life of Fungi, here for you on EcoReport.
4: Coming up this week in our listening area, Sycamore Land Trust will host a hike in Brown County at the Laura Hare Nature Preserve from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Saturday, March 23rd. Be prepared for a rugged trek along the South and North Loop trails where they cross creeks and pass ponds. Wear sturdy boots and bring a water bottle. RSV is required at sycamorelandtrust.org.
1: There will be an all-day amphibian outing at McCormick's Creek State Park on Saturday, March 23rd. Enjoy day and night hikes and talks about salamanders, hellbenders, and more. The first hike begins at 9.30 a.m. and goes to Andrew's Wetland. The hike will begin at the Pine Bluffs Shelter.
4: Learn how to grow mushrooms on Tuesday, March 26th at the Wilson Shelter House in Bedford, Indiana. Enjoy a session led by Cortland Carrington, who is a commercial mushroom grower and is recognized as a wild mushroom expert. The one-hour session will take place at 2211 Denson Avenue in Bedford and starts at 6 p.m. Please RSVP by calling 812-275-5692.
1: Start your day with an early bird hike at the Griffey Lake Nature Preserve on Sunday, March 31st, from 9 to 10.30 a.m. Discover the amazing diversity of birds in Bloomington, basic skills for birding using field guides, and how to hone your observation skills. Wear comfortable shoes for hiking and register at bloomington.in.gov slash parks.
4: And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812 334 four zero zero three and on the web at MPI
1: This week's headlines were written by Linda Green, Norm Holy, Sarah Vaughn, and Wes Martin. Today's feature was produced and edited by Jan Walker. Jan Walker also produced and edited Get Out and Hike. Kaylin Huffman Brower produced and edited The Secret Life of Fungi. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar.
4: Kirsten Payton engineered today's show, script editor was Andrew Brown, Jan Walker is our producer, executive producer is Wes Martin.
1: Tune in on Thursdays at 11.30 a.m. and Fridays at 5 p.m. for our weekly radio rundown of ecological news. You can also access news, feature audio, In Nature, and Get Out and Hike episodes anytime at wfhb.org. For WFHB, this is Todd Wicks.
4: And happy spring, I'm Juliana Daly.
1: And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report,
0: a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB
1: in Bloomington, Indiana.
0: Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org.
2: EcoReport is your independent, ecologically inspired news source
0: for south-central Indiana.
1: Bringing you news that the Earth wants you to hear.
0: Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas
1: directly to the Eco Report staff.
0: The email address is
1: earth at
3: wfhb.org.
0: That's earth at wfhb.org.